get out of this thing. But it's been fun. Sometimes the, the Lord will put something on your heart to do something a little different. And then you're like, man, Lord, this is taking a long time. <laughs> but it brings something to them. Because the writer, I think the writer wanted to bring something to each one of these. Because he broke it up in eights. And resh. Resh is the word that we're studying tonight. And I pray God to fight our battles. I wish I could fight them, but I can't. Some things, the only thing we can do is take to the Lord in prayer. So we are in Psalms 119, 153 to 160. We're going to read that real quick. And then um, we're going to talk about Jesus tonight. You know, we can't go all the way through Psalms 119 and we don't talk about our Lord and Savior. You know, and I'm probably going to reveal some things tonight that I usually, every time I reveal this to folks, Usually the church is the only one upset. <laughs> it ain't even uh, it ain't even the Gentiles. The church. And you might be upset too. It's going to be all right. And those of y'all that are listening will probably call me and text me and be upset. And I ain't mad at that either because I'm, I go hard in the paint. That's what we say. <laughs> I go hard in the paint. That's all I do. I don't know nothing else. I just sit at home and I think about going hard in the paint. So y'all just going to have to get mad. <laughs> I go hard in the paint, Thomas. I mean, I read this Bible for myself, you know. I love to hear preachers and things like that, but each and every one of us have to spend time with the Lord. We just got to spend time with them and just put it on audio. Put that phone on audio. Use your phone as a weapon instead of the enemy using it. And and one thing he talks about, and I tell you, Isaiah was the place that the Lord took me when I was 17 years old. When I was 17 years old and I, I gave my life to the Lord, I was at a place just like this. I wasn't in no church. I just went for one of my friends. I had a pocket full of weed. I had some 40s, and I had some ladies lined up like I always do. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. I kept it real. Uh-huh. And people... <laughs> Telling you the truth, T. I mean, but... <laughs> I get in Isaiah. Well, you know what? Whatever the Lord leads you to, but he led me to Isaiah. And uh, one of the things he says in there is you have to learn to do well. Like, we can sit here amongst ourselves and we know what we should be doing. We know we should be eating. We know how we should be, what we should be doing. Because, you know, we know what we should be doing. But it's hard. Because this flesh makes it hard. And the enemy knows that this thing is like a supercomputer. And that's why the the word says, be ye what? Transformed. And we can say that over, we can preach, be ye transformed every day in church. And somebody going to get something out of it. I mean, every, when you come in, please turn to Romans. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's like, it's going to be the same. And you'll get something out of it every time. Because the Holy Spirit's job is to transform you and I. And this Bible, like I said, as long as you are living and you keep going through it, he's going to continue to expound on things that you've already read. Don't look for nothing new. Maybe look for another revelation on top of that revelation. God opening, you know, like he went to his disciples. We're going to look a little bit at that today. As much as he talked about going to the cross, when he said, let's go because I'm about ready to die, they had no clue of what he was talking about. We would sit here and be like, why don't you have a clue of what Jesus said? They just couldn't understand it. And and that's just like us, some things we don't understand. Amen? But the Holy Spirit's job, listen, is to open our minds so that we can understand the scriptures. Like I tell you, I'm 17 years old. I started reading this stuff. And some of the stuff the Lord shows me, it's controversial. It made, I, I was talking to one of my friends and whatnot. And they said, please. I said, I'm going to do a podcast on this. 
And they were like, please, Mark, don't do that. And I'm like, you're talking to the wrong brother. Because just like John said, it's not lawful for you to be laid up as your brother's wife. You know, if the Lord tell me something, I'll say it on the mountaintop. <laughs> they might have, they're just going to have to get mad, y'all. People going to have to get mad at me. I might be by myself like John, waiting to get my head cut off. But you know what? It's real. <laughs> it's real. Oh, but it ain't nothing. <laughs> we go hard in the paint. You know what I'm saying? I'd have to go home and repent some days, but it's going to be all right. So 153 says, it says, consider my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and deliver me. Quicken me according to thy word. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not your statutes. Great are your tender mercies, O Lord. Quicken me according to your judgments. Many are my persecutors and my enemies, yet do I not decline from your testimonies. I beheld the transgressors and was grieved because they kept not your word. Consider how I love your precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. Your word is true from the beginning and every one of your righteous judgments endure forever. So, the topic or the person that's going to be at the discussion is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's who we're talking about today. And Paul says, I don't need to know you in uh, your death. I need to know you in the power of your resurrection. And that's that's a powerful statement Paul makes. because I know a lot of people are walking around talking about the cross and all this. And that Paul wrote a letter to somebody and said, I ain't even thinking about the cross. I just need to know whether or not he got up. Because if he didn't get up, remember Israel, year after year when the high priests went into the Holy of Holies, they put that rope on him and they had the little bells on the bottom. And as long as he came out, whoo, they rejoiced. They didn't rejoice when they killed the, the fatted lamb, did they? They didn't, they didn't rejoice when they killed the heifer. They rejoiced when that high priest came out of that temple and they said, we good for another year. <laughs> we good. And that, you know what I'm saying? And that, that's, that's a blessing. So when we look at today, we're going to look at something so controversial that they might even get mad at me. You know what I'm saying? But I throw hands. <laughs> I ain't going to be like Paul enough. I ain't going down without a fight. Y'all say he fought, but he, he fought the law and the law won. <laughs> try Jesus, don't try me. And, and I already had people tell me, please don't do that. You ever had somebody tell you, please don't do that? Don't preach that message. Uh, you know I ain't right, but God called me for a reason. <laughs> well, I'm telling you right now, you know I tell preachers all the time, you know, these, these things, these scriptures that these brothers are pulling out in the New Testament, you know what they were reading, right? They were reading the Old Testament. I don't know if anybody understands that. that I Just read the book for yourself. David had blood on his hands, right? Mm -hmm. Now, David will tell you straight up, he will quote, he says, the weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to pulling down the strongholds. Listen, David could say that with a straight face, with a sword in his hand and take off running and start stabbing and cutting off brothers' heads. Because that's what the, literally the statement is saying. It's, we wrestle, listen, the Philistines served a whole nother different God. Mm -hmm. 
So like Gideon said, these brothers every year come and attack us. The Israelites were running the caves and everything. So all the work you did out there, that's like you got all your Thanksgiving food laid out on the table. You're ready to eat. And somebody come up in here waving the 4-4 like Biggie. And everybody running back into the bedroom or running out the back door. And when you come back, all the food been ate, the big screen TV gone, the money that you had in your shoebox gone every single time. Do you think that they wanted to take this passive New Testament stance that sometimes the church takes? People, people don't understand that. Now, we don't wake up to throw hands, okay? We don't wake up to do that. But uh, that's what I want people to know. People don't tell you that Jesus told Peter to put the sword up, and then not long after, he said, okay, get the sword. So I believe today and whatnot, especially the society that we live in, people are so confused that they ain't paying us no mind anyway until some signs and wonders start to follow us. Amen? Amen. It's not until signs and wonders start to follow us that we start really putting an impact into the enemy because right now the church is so wishy-washy. We don't know what is what. But we have to get back to the word of God. So today Jesus is our focal point. He is the focal point of the day and the cross is the focal point. Because there's no cross in my house. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There ain't no cross hanging on my neck. There ain't no cross on my rear view visor. I ain't thinking about no cross. Because the cross was given to us by the Gentiles. And you can go back into Egypt and farther back into back before Egypt. And that cross is there symbolic of life. That's what it's symbolic of. And I'm here to prove a point to everybody today. And people literally, t- you think I'm joking when I tell you that. People told me, said, please don't preach that. I said, no, no. I said, the world needs to know because nobody preached it before. I'm going to preach it right here on Mount Pleasant Street. <laughs> you know that? Right. So let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Because we need to hear this. Mm-hmm. And folks don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear the truth. Paul told Timothy, he says, you know my doctrine. Manner of life. My afflictions and all that. And he also told him, he says, you know uh, the scriptures that will make you wise Unto salvation. Genesis chapter 3, and I believe beginning at verse 14. This, this battle between this woman's seed and the serpent has happened. This battle between the woman's seed and the serpent has happened. In the beginning, John wrote, was the word, this word right here. This, this word that we're, we're going to see right here. He says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of what? The only begotten son of God. That means that God placed himself in a woman, and God brought himself out of a woman. God did, all by himself. And they call him the son of God because literally he went into this woman and he stepped out and whatnot. He took flesh on and he walked around here. But only God could redeem us from sin. Only God could. If there was a man down here that could have redeemed, 
it would have happened. But all of us have sinned and all of us have come short of glorifying God. So God said, prepare me a body so I can go down here and redeem mankind from this dude right here, which is the devil. So verse 14 kicks off and says, and the Lord God said unto the serpent or the devil, because you have done this. Yeah, because the devil snatched things from man, because you have done this, you caused them to sin. He did. He really did. He tricked Eve. He's the one that came up with the whole idea, just like Jacob's mother did. Jacob's mother was the one that told him to go in there and deceive his daddy. Mm -hmm. But he's the one with the name. Because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon your belly shall you go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, or there will be war between you and the woman, and between your seed, devil, and her seed. It shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Right there. I, I, you know, I could say this to people over and over again. It says, it shall bruise thy head, devil, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So when God comes, places himself in this woman, of course, he's like John said, there goes the lamb that what takes away the sin of the world. Now, we know the story that Jesus went to Golgotha Hill and they hung. It says that they, they turned him over to the Gentiles. Those are non-believers. And the Gentiles killed him. And they put him up on a tree. They nailed him to a tree. And his heel, the heel of his foot, literally, is pushing up against this tree, or they call this cross, which is symbolic of who? Because if this cross right here, it does not represent God, I guarantee you that this cross represents this dude right here in Genesis chapter three, because he said, um, it shall bruise your head, his heel, the heel of Jesus is pressing against the wood of this cross. And literally the heel is bleeding. The heel of his is, is becoming raw because if somebody was to hang you up on a cross or maybe upon a tree, whether your arms are straight up and down like some of the people believe that he was or whether your arms are out, it starts to suffocate you. So when your knees are there, what you're doing is you're pushing yourself up off of that cross with your heel just to take a breath. Just to take a breath. You have to push yourself up to let your lungs expand enough to take a breath. So the heel of this young fella right here is up against the cross, or they would say a tree. And no matter how many times I say this to the church, the church looks at me and says, well, well, and I just keep repeating myself over and over again. His heel, what? Shall bruise your head and your head shall bruise his heel. Now, the only thing up against the heel of Jesus is the cross. So this cross must be the head or symbolically the head of Satan's kingdom. And I don't know if anybody understands that. And I said this for like 30 minutes to somebody till the person stopped talking. 
and they realized what I was saying was true. The hill of our Lord and Savior was up against that tree. And cursed is anyone who what? Hangs on a tree. And his heel was pushing up off of that cross to take a breath. And I bet you his heel, when you looked at it or you examined it, it was raw. It was bleeding because there's a nail in his feet. And he is trying to work it so that he can breathe. And I tell people over and over again, that cross is symbolic of this scripture right here. It shall bruise your head, Satan, and you shall bruise his heel. And that's literally going on on Golgotha, or they call Calvary. So I got a problem with the Ankh in Egypt, because later on, we're going to run into a gentleman named Abraham. And we run into a gentleman named Abraham. He's going to have a son named Isaac, a son of what? Promise, symbolic of what? The Mashiach. Then Isaac's going to have a son called Jacob, who later will become Israel. And he'll have a son named Joseph. And the story is told again about the Mashiach. All right? Let's go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 got a lot of stuff in it. You know that? I was looking and I said, man, because people don't want to understand me. They don't, they don't want to listen to me. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and say it anyway. That what is talked about in Genesis chapter 3 right there between the serpent seed and the seed coming out of Eve has been done. It has happened. And I tell the church, and I'm telling everybody on it, and, and the only... Thing the hill of Jesus was pressed up against is that cross. Now that cross is in Egypt. That cross um, was something that the Phoenicians brought to Rome. And Rome to this day flies that cross. We're going to be in Luke chapter 18, verse 31. Luke chapter 18, verse 31. And we're talking about Jesus today. We're talking about our Lord and Savior. We're talking about the seed of Eve. And I don't know why nobody understands. I don't know why. You know what, what's, what's amazing about the scriptures is people keep saying that uh, they changed it. But they forgot to change that, didn't they? And I tell you right now that When we go back, if we wanted to, to look at Exodus chapter 20 and what the Lord our God said, you will see a lot of what he said don't do happening today. Just like I tell people all the time, he's the God of the Hebrews. So if he's the God of hip hop artists, <laughs> and I tell you that all the time, he's the God of, if he's the God of country music, he takes and creates a culture. Like black people started hip hop. Hip hop is a culture. It's a lifestyle. So you have to understand hip hop. You know, you just can't come along and, 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 and say hip hop is this and that. You have to understand the culture. It was, a, it was the way that probably started in church. Different preachers would be hooping. 
you know? Somebody took that hoop and put some music to it, and they called it hip-hop, and they started rapping over this beat. But they begin to talk to you and I about issues in our life, in our community, in the world, and it was very powerful. And then they would battle each other, not physically. It was who was the best MC or the best rhymer. Nowadays, of course, people started to commercialize it or want to make money off of it because they realized it had a powerful influence. They brought in gangster rap and it was no more uplifting each other. Those days were over. Now it's not about that. Now they're bringing in everything else from homosexuality to all different types of stuff into it. In our R&B music, you know, brothers used to sing about what was going on in our community. Like I told you Sunday, I'll always love my mama. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. When a man loves a woman. He starts telling us some real stories that go on in real life. But now they took it some other place. Mm-hmm. You know, there were some good songs out there, but then they started to write these songs by Shirley Murdoch talking about As We Lay. <laughs> so I got a problem with that I'm just and it's no different than the cross they took Genesis chapter 3 prophesying that the heel of the Mashiach would bruise the head of Satan and I'm telling you you got to think about what I'm telling you it's going to be hard but his heel was going to bruise his head and I'm telling you The only thing his heel was up against was a cross. So I don't know. I mean, it's going to take you some time. People call me 20 years later about things I'm saying, and I might be 74, and one of y'all might give me a call and say, hey, you know, you was kicking that, you know what I'm saying, back in November about this heel, and I, I really couldn't understand it, but you have to picture it. The only thing the heel of the Mashiach's foot is up against is that cross. And he said, his heel will bruise your head. I'm telling you because he was trying to catch his breath. He was on that cross. All right. Mm -hmm. Luke 18 and 31. Then he took unto him the 12 and said unto them, behold, we go up to Jerusalem. And all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. Genesis chapter 3 and all the way through the prophets, all the way through Isaiah and all of them. It says that here. It shall be accomplished. This is what God was reprimanding Satan for and Eve for and Adam for is about to be accomplished right now. For he shall be delivered unto who? The Gentiles. Satan (laughs) is not a believer. I don't know how many times I can tell people that. He is not a believer. He knows that God is real, but he does not believe anything that God says. He is the opposite. He is anti-Christ. He is anti. All right? It says the devils believe in God and what? Tremble. Because they don't want no parts of them. They're trembling because they know that this word is coming to pass. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles. That's people that do not believe. Mm -hmm. 
and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spit it on and they shall scourge and put him to death and the third day shall he rise again. So the Gentiles, okay, the Gentiles are people that do not believe who God is. They do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. I want you to pause right there for a second and we need to go to Exodus chapter 20 because we need to see this because when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they needed to be transformed by the renewing of their minds so that they could prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. They need to be able to prove it. It's real talk. So in Exodus chapter 20, this is the real Pentecost. Okay. Since the world doesn't know. Well, really, it's the Feast of Weeks. The Gentiles, again, you hear that word Gentile? If you go over to the book of Acts, the Gentiles called it Pentecost because of 50, the book says. Why are these Gentiles naming anything in the first place? They need to sit there behind down somewhere. It written in the book, it says the Gentiles called it Penta, but the Hebrews called it the Feast of Weeks. And here we are at the Feast of Weeks in the book of Exodus. Okay? Chapter 19. And then what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit begins to speak and he tells us some things. So Exodus chapter 20 says here, verse 1, it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, now we're only going to read a couple of them, but this is what should be written upon your heart and upon your mind, okay? Remember he told Israel to write these scriptures upon the doorpost. When they would go in and out, they would read it. They would see the word. And I tell you today, use your phone to do good. Your phone is going to reject you listening to the word of God or your heart will reject the, you know, using the phone for good. But Isaiah says, learn to do good. Now I know gospel music is good. Mm-hmm. Paul says, you know what? Think on that too. You know, I know it's good to communicate with your family. And I love when Facebook reminds us of people's birthdays. That's good. But this idle time that we have, that's the devil's playground. We have to learn to use our phone for good instead of searching things on our phone that are no good for us. Because if the word of God is transforming our mind and the devil understands that, then he also understands that the other garbage that we are looking at is transforming our mind too. So in Exodus chapter 20, the Lord spake all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, which have brought you up out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Right there, that's the first commandment. So I'm separating Jesus our Lord and Savior from the Gentile God, which is represented by a cross. Because the statement in Genesis chapter 3 says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So right now, and this is going to be on Nationwide Podcast, 
I am separating my God from Satan here today. You hear me? There is a difference between the God I serve and that cross which represents Satan and his kingdom because the Gentiles hung him on that cross. They served that God and they said that the cross is representative of life. And we know it because the name of the church that we go to is the way, the truth, and the life. But that cross, they say, just like the pharaohs used to say is symbolic of life, of life, the resurrection and the life. Isn't that ironic that an ankh or a cross would be named something like that? So we look at verse four of Exodus chapter 20. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and show mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Amen? Amen. That's real talk. This symbolic cross, which people hang on their wall and try to say, well, it just reminds me of Jesus's death. No, every Hebrew was concerned about whether or not the high priest came out of the temple. That's all they were worried about. They weren't worried about uh, Mary's little lamb, how it was roasted. They weren't sitting there clapping because the animal died at the, at the altar. They weren't sitting there talking about, Woo-wee! and then they went and took the altar and they started making little altars and started hanging the altar up all around. You go into the house, they got the altar up on the wall. They didn't do that. Nobody did that. So why are we doing that to this day? We should be just like Israel. We don't give. Listen, we understand the altar. That's the place where the sacrifice happened. But Israel did not begin to celebrate until the high priest came out of that temple. Then they knew that their sins were forgiven. But if he would have died in there, then they knew that God rejected their prayer. Does that make any sense to anybody reading scripture? I don't know. All right, so we go back over to Luke chapter 18. I just hope hope people can follow along with us. You know what I'm saying? Because people get lost. Because right now people are starting to talk because the enemy has infiltrated our mindset. He's infiltrated our mindset and he just polluted us with this thing to the point where every church you go into has a cross. Mm-hmm. Almost every believer's home you go into has a cross or a white Jesus or a black Jesus. Mm-hmm. They might even have a Hispanic Jesus. They probably, even the little pygmies in Australia probably got a little pygmy Jesus on their wall. A lot of people got a bunch of nonsense on their wall, but we don't have no images of anything. I like our pictures of our family. Thou shalt be saved in thy house. If you don't know who your house is, you need to put your family pictures up on there. You know what I'm saying? That's what Cornelius knew who his family was and went and invited everybody. 
And Peter came and talked to them about Jesus. You know, Jesus who went around healing all those that were oppressed by the devil. I know you heard that he died, but we are witnesses to the fact that he got up. That's what he said. Because remember, if you smite the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. So some of them weren't there to see him die. They ran for their life because they were with him for three years. Peter cussed so vehemently and left, hiding and stuff, not to be known that he was with him. But they said that they were eyewitnesses of what? The resurrection of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. So when you look here at the finishing points of 18, this is when Jesus said unto them, he says, uh, verse 34, and they understood Verse 34 of Luke chapter 18, it's written in black because the writer Luke wants each and every one of us to understand and they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. So Jesus is preaching scripture. He is talking to them about the scriptures. But you know what the writer says here? that it was hid from them and they didn't even know it. And I'm telling you today, hid from the body of Christ is this simple little thing I'm talking to you about of his heel and his head and why the cross is symbolic of the head of Satan. It's like literally they worshiped this cross for so many years, long before Moses was born in Egypt. The Ankh was there. We can go back into regular man's history and look at all the hieroglyphics and the, and the, and the, and the um, sarcophagus that came out of Egypt that pre-dated uh, Moses and see that there was the cross was there. All right? It was already there. And the whole world thinks that the Hebrew God, that Egypt invented him. That Egypt invented the Most High God and presented the Most High God to the world. And all we are is a bunch of dummies following the Pharaoh, the God of the Pharaohs. That's literally what they're saying. That Egypt is the birthplace of religion. <clears throat> because it's the birthplace of electricity. It's the birthplace of plumbing. It is one of the first known civilizations of mankind. So I'm here to tell you that our God in this book couldn't stand Pharaoh and raised Pharaoh up to show the whole world who he is. Amen. And just like right here, nobody knows who Jesus is. Even the people that were, you know, rolling with him didn't know who he was. I love preaching about Mary when she took that oil and anointed his body. And the brothers were saying, why didn't you sell that so that we could have money to help the poor? But God showed a woman, revealed to her what his will was. And Jesus said, leave her alone because she's doing this. She's anointing my body for my death. Amen? Amen. Now, we need to go a little bit further here in Luke. All right? Make sure... That we get here to the right place. I should have went to John, but I'm going I'm to try to hang out here in Luke. All right? Bop, bop, bop. 
Now, Jesus talks about in Luke 18 um, how they were going to mock him. Did he not say that? Luke 18, this is his own testimony. He says, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished, for he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles. He shall be mocked, spitefully entreated, spitted on, scourged, that means beat, you know, beard ripped out, almost pretty much disfigured, and then they're going to put him to death. But the third day, what? He shall rise again. All right? That's literally what's going to happen. So Judas already um, already uh, betrays Jesus. Um, in verse 63 of, of chapter 22 of Luke, verse 63 says that the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him or punched him or hit him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face. And asked him, saying, prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously spake they against him. Chapter 23. I know we only got a little bit of time. One of these days, I can, I'm going to do this. You know, I can, on the podcast, when I do it, I can go four, five, six hours, you know, lay the whole thing out. Chapter 23, and the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, are you king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, you say it. And, and then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. He's the lamb. He's the lamb. He's without blemish. And they were more fierce, saying, he stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, all Jerusalem, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he decided to send him off. All right. Um, and as soon as he knew that he belonged in the Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad for him. He was desirous to see him of a long season because he had heard many things of him and hoped to have seen some miracle done by him the same way we were preaching about Pharaoh when Pharaoh told Moses, show me a trick. Show me a trick, please. Show me a miracle. Show me what you do. Then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. Then the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. And at the same day, Pilate and Herod were made friends together. Now listen to this. For before they were at enmity between themselves, that same word used in Genesis chapter 3. That there will be enmity between your seed, the devil's seed, and her seed. But now they're friends. These Gentiles are friends now when it comes to our Lord and Savior. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said to them, you have brought this man unto me as one that perverted the people. And behold, I have examined him before you and have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof you accused him. 
No, 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 nor yet, Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for of necessity he must release one of them at the feast. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them, but they cried, saying, Crucify, crucify him. So we know Satan has filled the hearts of these people. And they specifically use the word crucify, crucify. Because they have to fulfill the prophecy of Genesis chapter 3, where Jesus is going to bruise this serpent's head. You hear me? They could have said any other thing. They could have said off with his head like they did with John the Baptist. There were so many different ways. They could have stabbed him with a spear. They could have hung him up by his neck with a rope. But they yelled out, crucify, crucify, crucify him. Because I'm telling you, the cross symbolized Satan. And he said unto them the third time, why? What evil has he done? I have found no cause of death in him. And I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud uh, voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that he should uh, be as they required. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired. But he delivered Jesus to their will. That's real talk, y'all. That is real talk of what happened to Jesus. Amen? And um, jamming on that little phone jamming. So when we go back over to Psalms 119, like I said, I can't give the whole thing one day. I'm going to go back and I'm going to give my whole thought on this thing, but I'm releasing this on the world so they can get angry. And I hope they get angry because I'm telling you right now, any building that has a cross on it, we need to treat them like they may be uh, snitches. Mm -hmm, yes, we should. The cross exposes who Satan is. The cross literally exposes Satan's kingdom. And now the Roman Catholic Church, one of the biggest Satan worshipers um, in the world, this, this woman, this uh, harlot that sits on seven hills, described in the book of Revelation as one of the largest churches. And she has, um, she can go anywhere in this world. She can go to any continent that she wants to because she is in bed with the leaders or the leaders are in bed with her. And she is their representative of this world. The Pope is their representative. The Pope goes and visits presidents and kings and they have private conversations. I guarantee the Pope is making sure he got his people in check. But I don't see him, uh, I don't see any other, I don't see T.D. Jakes going around the world, do you? 
You know, I don't I don't see, uh, you know, people. Billy Graham wasn't visiting different leaders in the world. They didn't want to hear what Billy Graham had to say. But the Pope can go anywhere. And he is the Pope. And when he lands, people are out there with their crucifixes. They are out there with their um, rosary beads for their repetitious prayers. They got the statue of what? St. Peter. They got the statue of St. Jude. It's almost symbolic to the temples that Solomon built for his wives, his Gentile wives. And the priest, the male priest and the female priest that occupied those temples. They wouldn't marry. And neither do these marry. But the Levitical priests would marry so that they could continue to fulfill the will of God. And we are to be like the Levitical priests today, set apart to tell people about the word of God. That's who we should be. So we go back to Psalms 119, beginning at 153, and we read this again. Just like Paul says, I need to know him in the power of his resurrection. When this word talks about quicken me, it's like quicken my spirit. All right? He's the God of what? The quick and the dead? Those that have been quickened or, or resurrected. 153 says, consider my affliction. This is our Lord and Savior. Maybe our Lord and Savior is talking through this psalm right here. Consider my affliction and what? Deliver me. For I do not forget your law. And the law, it talks about him bruising Satan's head and Satan bruising his heel. Plead my cause and deliver me. Quicken me According to thy word, Jesus says, my father has given me the power to lay my life down and to pick my life back up. Salvation is far from the wicked. Yes, it is. For they seek not your statutes. Great are your tender mercies, O Lord. Quicken me according to your judgments. Many are my persecutors and my enemies, yet do I not decline from your testimonies. I beheld the transgressors and was grieved because they kept not thy word. Jesus said, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. Consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. Thy word is true from the beginning. Come on, Jesus. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Amen? That's all I got to say on that one. They told me not to say it. Sometimes they say, Mark, don't say that. And I'm saying it. I said it right here. And I'm going to put this on national podcast of what I said. You know? And I tell people all the time, that ain't my cross. So stop trying to, you know, come up to me with all that Catholic cross into the chest and all that stuff because I ain't about that life, you know. My God bruised his heel on that cross and that cross is symbolic of the head of Satan and you'll see it all throughout his churches. 
And we need to be careful of that. Some people do it ignorantly and some people knowingly worship that cross. You hear me? Even in the little vampire movies, they got the cross in there coming against old Dracula. And Dracula's all upset because of the cross. The only person that's upset at the cross is God because he's like, that ain't me. He said that they're going to turn me over to the Gentiles and the Gentiles are going to crucify me. That's what he told them. He spoke to them the word. But but listen, when Luke is saying that that prophecy that he spoke to his disciples was hid from them. And I'm here to tell you that it seems like this is still hid from the church today. But it ain't hid from you today because you got a chance to hear it. And I walk you through scriptures like we do. Everything has to be based on scripture. Does Is it scripturally correct? So if I unleash this on the world, am I scripturally wrong? The prophecy from the beginning, and I'll say it for the last time. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And he bruised his heel on that cross That's all I got to say. That's it. That's a wrap.